Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Buja. Thanks for joining us. And as you know, I recently have lost longtime co-host Alex Riviello to the professional world. He should be back at some point, we hope, maybe uh, maybe guesting. But in the meantime, needed to, uh, there was a seat that needed to get filled. And first on that list is a longtime friend, the only person who loves movies more than I, than I do, I think think he loves them <laughs> significantly more and just all around great guy and very knowledgeable human being matt marchetti of movie matinee oh my god how are you just like dude I, so great to have you here i'm i'm very uh, honored to be here i'm very excited to do this so it's okay. just a great gonna be a great experience to actually talk to someone about movies who likes them like you said as much as you do <laughs> as much as i do so i'm just pumped up to talk about anything movie Okay, um, and you, uh, you, you do have um, a certain experience with movies, having been to uh, your house. I believe <laughs> is it. Do you just have an entire wall, like a very large wall, devoted to your Blu-rays? <laughs> no, it's a room. It's a room by this point, right? Yeah, it's it's two rooms, or it's like a it's like a room and a half at this point. I think. <laughs> yeah, we used to have the 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 basement of our previous house. Um, everything was down there, and now. Uh, we moved recently, so it's split up over two rooms. The guest room is uh, most of the Blu-rays, and they've spilled over into the office uh, makeshift movie room for the time being. And then I think I have six or seven large boxes of DVDs that aren't even out yet. So. <laughs> and I, I do have to ask, you have watched all of these? No, 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 <laughs> no I haven't. No. <laughs> I have a uh, problem, and I spend a lot of money, and then I realize that, like, oh, I need to have this movie on day one, and I buy it, and then I don't watch it for two years, and I just think, yep, that's me. That's exactly what I would do. <laughs> and so, yeah. And yet we both found women to marry us. Yes, I know. Very <laughs> lucky. Very lucky are we. <laughs> Definitely. You also, you do basically a movie review a day. On, on Instagram at yeah. at movie movie Matt movie Matt yes yeah, movie underscore matinee but the matinee has two T's in it like my name two T's how did that come about and like uh, just how's it going oh it's it's going well I don't think I'm always up to my daily quota but I try I mean it came about because um, I just wanted to write some reviews and I actually started uh, compiling a, a, some longer reviews to actually send to you. Right. Or yep, same remember. night movie review, and um, I found the, the task of writing them the way I wanted to write them a little daunting to keep up. <laughs> and I thought, well, I still want to do this, but I, I want to do it kind of in a truncated form. And I thought, I think actually, my wife recommended uh, Instagram, or I started just doing it one day, and she recommended, why don't you just do them on Instagram? And I found that the format was mostly agreeable. I don't have to. Um, Yes, I'm a little more concise than I would like to be. I kind of like to talk, but um, it's just really fun. It lets me um, get my thoughts out and kind of connect with some people through Instagram that like the same things, which is cool. Yeah, so. and you and you have a wide, you have a diverse taste. Like you will, <laughs> you'll talk about the schl the schlockiest of schlocks, but yeah. you, then you also. Come on, Oscar Watch, and talk about Best Picture winners. Is there is there nothing you don't enjoy, sir? Um, no. I mean, if it's I mean, honestly, if it's entertaining in some regard, I'm into it. Uh, I guess I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of 
comedies overall, particularly modern comedies. Um, I think they can be a little samey, although I say that being a huge horror fan and horror is built entirely around formula that gets very old very fast. Um, but they don't have like, you know, violent deaths in comedies all the time. So it just doesn't interest me. And then and I guess um, a lot of kind of if romance done poorly, I can't stand. I'm a very sensitive person and I love romance if it's done effectively. <laughs> but if it's boring and it's not done well, I hate it. Otherwise, I'm game. Okay. Well, on this show, uh, we don't have to worry about comedies so much. But <laughs> you know what? There, I think there will be a couple of romances tossed here and there just giving giving you the heads up but oh yeah so um as you are the uh new co-host of the show there was uh you had your choice of film yeah and you picked on the waterfront the 1954 Uh Ilya kazan movie that is this week's film and i do have to ask why um i don't know i just was looking through the list and uh it's a movie that I kind of discovered uh, probably when I was like 16 or 17. I think my un- my uncle mentioned it to me and I hadn't seen it. And he knew I was into crime films and he said, you should see this. He, had, he must have seen it recently or re-seen it recently or something like that. And uh, he recommended it. And then I think I caught it maybe within that year. Mm-hmm. And I liked it a lot. Uh, and then I actually kind of revisited it recently when I um, was putting together the, I guess, programming, so to speak, for my film class I teach. And when it comes to the 50s, I was thinking of what movies might my students enjoy. And they tend to like things that are gritty and down to earth and real feeling. And I thought that would be a good choice. And um, so that's when I kind of really um, got into it. When I had to analyze it for their sake, that's when I really got into it. So. Okay, nice. Yeah. What other, what other films were are, are you looking at in the fifties? If I may in ask. the fifties, so so we we do a decade a month, um, and so two of the it's not every Friday we have the class. So two of the Fridays are full movies, and then the other two Fridays are like clip days where we watch between you know six and ten clips from different films. So for the fifties, the two full length films we watch are On the Waterfront and. Um, Night of the Hunter. I like to keep it real, you know, okay. uh, light and bouncy. <laughs> the the uh, sub- the sublime to the ridiculous, as it were. Right, right. And then, I mean, all over the place with other things. Um, they tend to like, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually, I, I'm surprised by what a 16, 17, 18 year old brain will enjoy. Um, I, I kind of always think they're going to not like certain things, comedies, for example, um, but they end up liking a lot of them. So they'll surprise you. Teenagers. Ugh. I know. I don't know. I know. <laughs> You've got a long time to deal. Yeah, got I got to deal with that. <laughs> it'll be be here sooner, yeah. sooner than sooner than you realize, or so Probably so I'm told. Um, <laughs> but uh, myself, I I think my exposure to On the Waterfront was just you know the scene, the Marlon, the Brando scene could have had class, could have been contender. That's a big pop yep. culture touchstone. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't think I'd ever seen it before, nor have I really seen a lot of the works of Ilya Kazan. Uh, so this was a great experience for me, and we are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss the uh, 1954 Academy Awards, where On the Waterfront took home eight. Pretty damn good. That's yeah, crazy. So stick and around. I know that right as back. anxious as I am to find out what actor has won the Oscar for the best performance of this year. 
Have I a little spread to tempt you all with this? The winner is Marlon Brando's On the Waterfront. Much heavier than I imagined. <laughs> I, uh, gosh, I had uh, something to say, and I can't remember what I was going to say for the life of me. Um, I don't think that ever in my life have, have so many people been so directly responsible for my being so very, very glad. It's a wonderful moment and a rare one, and I'm certainly indebted. Thank you. On the Waterfront picked up eight Academy Awards, obviously. Best Picture is one of them, because we're talking about it. But, Mr. Matthew Marchetti, what else did it grab at that year's ceremony? So, as you said, yeah, Best Picture, for sure. That's the big one. Uh, I mean, a lot of the big ones. And then one kind of heavily contested, nominee-filled one that we can also mention if if we have time. So, so Best Actor, Marlon Brando, of course. Um, His first... Yeah, and he uh, accepted it with with the grace and quiet mumble mouth of Marlon Brando. But it was a really nice speech. I know we could talk about the ceremony in a little bit, but I just was really kind of uh, entertained to see him humble, uh, which was which was nice because he kind of have he is a larger than life persona. So I enjoyed that. Um, we also had Eva Marie Saint with Best Supporting Actress. Um, her debut, her debut film role. She had appeared in a lot of television for about ten years, but Kazan liked her look and directed her to her really only Oscar and her only major major role. I think. Well, no, she was in North by Northwest. North by Northwest. Yeah, North that's the one I was thinking yeah. of too. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. She seen when you see her in those movies, she seems like such an accomplished actress. But I guess the TV thing fits that. So she. Yeah able to to make that work um yeah we, we we've already mentioned Ilya kazan um for best director uh presented i think by brando if i remember correctly which was cool um i actually hadn't realized he his the, his his years a, born in 1909 and, and died in 2003 yeah it is a it is a long life Long life. Put an exclama- I put an exclamation point next to my notes. That's how, <laughs> how, how shocked I was to read that. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, his, his last film, I think, was the late 70s or something like that. And I believe so, yeah. yeah. Didn't, um, didn't make like, uh, like, he wasn't like super prolific, but he made a bunch. And he won, he won Best Director twice. He also won for The Gentleman's Agreement yeah. uh, eight years earlier, I believe. And we'll talk yeah. about that one as well when we get to it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So uh, moving on, we also had the uh, best uh, writing story and screenplay by Bud Schulberg. I've got some interesting takes on on Bud Schulberg. He has a, a couple interesting stories I read about him, and uh, we can talk more about the screenplay. But I just wanted to mention that um, some of the other, the writing credits also go to Malcolm Johnson for these um, articles he wrote. Um, I don't know for what newspaper it was, but it had to do with kind of corruption and issues um, with the longshoremen. And then there, from what I read, there's also a uncredited, um, some uncredited rewrites from Robert Siodmak, who was a great 
writer and director of uh, film noir in the 40s and 50s, oh. which is kind of cool to see that because this film has a lot of film noir elements in it. It definitely does. And f- and for the record, people, this is uh, this is the the caliber of uh, of, of co-host we have. He 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 digs deep. I, d- I try. I, I try. It's great. Continue, sir. So speaking of film noir, which is so kind of immersed in the look, the visual style of of itself, um, we had the best cinematography winner from Boris Kaufman. Um, this really great black and white cinematography that was kind of, you know, in a way on the way out in terms of, you know, color cinematography, technicolor cinematography was kind of making its way in and it really was blowing people's minds. And um, it was a great choice, I think, to keep it um, black and white as well. Um, yeah. The uh, yeah, the uh, later on, I think in the '60s, they they phased out the black and white and color categories and just folded them into art direction, cinematography. cinematography yep. Oh yeah, good. Yes, that's a good point. I should have that is best cinematography, black and white, because we have this distinction at this point. Yep. So good call. Um, on the technical side, we also have editing, best editing, Gene Milford, and then I think art and set direction, Richard Day. Yep. Um, and then obviously the. Best picture, best, best picture winner, which went to um, Sam Spiegel, which is the he's part of the interesting Bud Schulberg story I could talk about in a little bit if we have time. Or, okay. um, apparently not the easiest guy to work with, <laughs> as most producers are not, I've been told. Um, Definitely. But, uh, so, I think that's all. I, yeah, that's that's the eighth, eighth one. It had uh, it had four more, but it's interesting what three of those were. <laughs> yes. Enlighten us. Yeah, that's what I was alluding to earlier. The uh, I, I assume we're talking about the same thing. The the uh, supporting actor nominees. Uh, there were three of them, <laughs> three, three of them from the same movie, all with really good performances. Uh, Lee Cobb, uh, Carl Malden, and Rod Steiger, who all put forth really, really good um, performances. There, I, I would argue, and we can maybe go back and forth that. I might have given it to Carl Malden. I think his performance in On the Waterfront I, was just fantastic. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I saw the movie and was like, oh, cl- obviously Carl Malden yeah. won yeah. Best Supporting yeah. Actor. But I think the all three of these guys were so good that they split the vote, and the movie didn't end up winning any of them. It went to yep. I, I don't even I don't even remember who it went to. Just not I think not. It was, the, I think it was Edmund O'Brien for the. Oh, it's a it's a cooking show, the Barefoot Contessa. I think oh, it was. yes, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I got there, but <laughs> that's that's what it was. <laughs> and finally, it also oh, and yeah. finally it was also nominated for best dramatic or comedy score. Oh. They had it's it's odd that they had both in one another later on during the nineties. They'd have best dramatic and best comedy score for about four years, but now it's just best original score it's yeah it's uh, you know i feel as though i feel as though some uh, some of these awards these early awards get padded by the amount of nominations they have because they had multiple i think so too i would agree with you different categories but um so the 27th academy awards was uh it was a fun, it was a fun, it was apparently a very fun year uh best actress was between grace kelly and judy garland Garland had this uh, great uh, this great comeback performance, and she was like, "Oh, obviously people are going to give it to her." But then here comes Grace Kelly again, doing what she do, and just and just 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 winning. Uh, 
Go Sounds ahead. like a like a race car. You're like, here comes Grace Kelly. Yeah. The well, rear. <laughs> uh, Judy Garland was pregnant. I think she was uh, like literally giving birth at the time. They had the cameras all ready. They were gonna show her like graciously accepting with a smile on her face, and it just it just didn't happen. So, yeah. Fun little fun fun little fun little fact <laughs> of that. <laughs> and uh, Brando, Brando, this was Brando's first win. He would win win again later for The Godfather as well. He beat out Bing Crosby for White Christmas, uh, an amazing movie, but uh, and who was heavily favored. But there's the, people saw this more again as a uh, Brando versus Bogart, old Hollywood versus new Hollywood. You had Bra- yes. Bogart who plays Bogart, and you have Brando who's Stanislavski, and you know he's a character actor, actor from a couple of years ago when it was Bogart and African Queen, and Brando yeah. in Streetcar, also directed by Ilya Kazan. And that time Bogart won because. I think he actually hadn't won yet, and this is sort of his. <laughs> so they just threw him a bone. Yeah, they were like, "You've been doing this for thirty years. You're 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 getting that." Um, the DiCaprio effect. Yeah, if you just show if you just show up and show up in enough good movies and get nominated enough times, <laughs> you'll eventually win. Uh, but on the waterfront, one there were four other films that were nominated, and I gotta say, I'm looking at this list, and I am not that impressed. Certainly, no, by me the, neither. Certainly by the longevity, you had the Kane Mutiny. Uh, I don't. I've like I've heard of the Kane Mutiny. I've heard of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I have not heard of Country Girl or Three Coins in the Fountain. I don't think these films have really stood any test of time. So among those five movies, On the Waterfront is definitely the one that stands out. It has a lot. Of, it's it's a great legacy going for it, and uh, yes. a, a timelessness. I think to it. I did. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but you know, I. We'll have to say, and we're going to get into the movies of 1954, is that there is some, there's a movie that is missing from that list. And you should switch out any one of these other films for it. And that is uh, literally my favorite Hitchcock film of all time. And that's Rear, Rear Window. Mm-hmm. Hitchcock was nominated for Best Director. Obviously didn't mm-hmm. win because he never won Best yeah. Director. <laughs> Shame. But, man, Rear, Rear Window, I... I love that movie. That is yes. so so great, and it sh- it should be up there. And also, <laughs> by the way, 1954 is just a great, great movie. Do you got it? Do you got anything else? What came out that year? Because I do. I want I want to hear what you what you were impressed by. I I believe I might have that, Stephen. Okay. Uh, well, Rear Window was the first one I had pointed out. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, I think I also had Sabrina. Billy Wilder, Sabrina, another Hitchcock film, right? Dial M for Murder. Oh. Um, Seven Samurai, I believe, was was originally shot in 1954. Yes, I I uh, believe I on my notes I have it as Seven Goddamn Samurai. It did not <laughs> um did not win Best Foreign Film. Actually, don't even remember what won that year. Let me check my notes it, on that one. It's because I think it's actually really confusing. I, I don't. I think most of the the foreign films got like honorary awards the following year. Uh, some of them like, did. Well, f- well, for instance, um, La Strada was released this year. Yes, but yep. what? But not in competition. So it won in 1956. Gate yes. of Gate of Hell won in 1954. That was the one I was thinking. Of, yeah, so, but yeah, so the the way the the way the world was, it being bigger and all, kind of limited. You know, it kind of futzed with the release dates of the uh, of the foreign films. Yeah, but seven seven samurai. Uh, Seven goddamn samurai. <laughs> uh, you have both Creature from the, La- 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 the oh, Black yeah. Lagoon and Godzilla, which, yep. <laughs> I mean, whoo, 
And uh, the and the aforementioned White Christmas, one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. Oh, it's so good, yeah. It really is. It really is. I love it. Yeah. So that and that is 1954 in a nutshell, and a little bit of the uh, the Academy Awards. But hold on. First of all, you had a story about Bud, Bud Schulberg that I am dying to hear right now. What I, is it about I, him? I, I have it. Yeah. Um... So it has to do with the. It has to do with the. We could talk more about this with the kind of themes in the film, but basically, um, Kazan was heavily criticized in 1952 for his role in identifying uh, eight former communists that had worked in the film industry, and the screenplay for On the Waterfront was apparently originally supposed to be written by Arthur Miller. It was going to be called The Hook, uh-huh. and. Because of Kazan's testimony and Bud Schulberg, who actually testified too in 1952, he pulled out of the production and said, no, I'm not going to do this. He was he was pissed um, that Kazan would do this. And Kazan felt that it was part of his, you know, his responsibility to kind of protect the liberties and the freedoms of, of the people of America and thought that he was justified in doing so. So um, he Miller leaves and Bud Schulberg comes on. And apparently he, he had this great, this great treatment written, which is very different in a lot of respects, I guess, from what the, uh, the, the film finally ended up being because producer Sam Spiegel uh, was, had his uh, claws in all of Schulberg's work and wanted different aspects to be changed. Um, they did not have a great working relationship. The, the funny story I'm remembering is uh, Bud Schulberg's wife waking up at like, two in the morning to see her husband getting dressed, putting a tie and shirt on. And she said, bud, where are you going? And I think he lived um, upstate New York at the time. And he said, I'm, I'm going to New York to kill Sam Spiegel because he had just had entirely enough of the guy's nonsense. Um, I don't know if he ever went there. He certainly didn't kill Sam Spiegel because Sam Spiegel was at the, uh, the, the Academy Awards. Um, but I thought that was just a funny, that's such an old Hollywood, like it's just a Hollywood story to me. It's just, <laughs> you never know if it's true or not. It's just such a funny piece. And and then the other funny bit of trivia was Arthur Miller ended up, um, writing the crucible and the crucible is kind of his, um, rebuttal to down the waterfront in a right. lot of ways yep. had to do with informants and accusations and things like that. So. And yeah, which, that's and, my little story. And which is, and to, to to bring it back around to me because it's my show, I starred mm. as the lead in the Crucible in the high school production. There you go. Look so, at that. And it's all coming back. It's all coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we are going to take a short break. When we come back, we will discuss Huack, Arthur Miller, Ilya yeah. Kazan, all of that good stuff on the waterfront. Be right back. It wasn't him, Charlie. It was you. Remember that night in the garden? You came down my dressing room and said, Kid, this ain't your night. We're going for the price on Wilson. You remember that? This ain't your night. My night? I could have taken Wilson apart. So what happens? He gets the title shot outdoors in a ballpark, and what do I get? A one-way ticket to Palookaville. You was my brother, Charlie. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care of me just a little bit so I wouldn't have to take them dives for the short-end money. Well, I had some bets down for you. You saw some money. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. 
instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. The 1950s brought about Joseph McCarthy and the House Un-American Activities Committee in Washington, where many a artist and suspected or former communist entertainer, screenwriters mostly, were forced to testify or not testify and face uh, the infamous blacklist. Ilya Kazan was one of the major players in Hollywood to have uh, spoken out. He named names, as Mark Hedy said, uh, eight names. He ended the careers of several people. And uh, even uh, when he was honored in 2003, he was not uh, entirely forgiven. On the Waterfront is his sort of, uh, it's his, I guess, defense of his actions. Would you would you say that came that came yeah. out came out about this? There's, I think so. Yeah, it's a very it's a very almost anti anti union story. The 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 heroic act the person does Rando in this case is he testifies before a judge about corrupt and illegal and indeed murderous practices by a uh, the, uh, a couple of gang bosses for the uh, the local longshoremen in, uh, in beautiful Hoboken, New Jersey. Oh yeah, it's gorgeous. <laughs> It's it's uh, it's great. And um, how does the times affect a movie? And how does the fact that this is a this is a HUAC film, this is a movie just totally about the Red Scare? How does that survive to now? And how do how do how do you read it sixty years later? Oh, wow, this is a big, big question, but but an excellent one, and one I'm completely prepared for, or at least ready to. <laughs> just to stumble my way through. So I actually think, I mean, in just in general, the film uh, holds up really well for a lot of reasons, even before the, you know, the McCarthyism and Red Scare pieces, there's this idea in the film, or at least it feels that way to me about kind of the, the, the wealthy or read the corrupt versus the poor read the innocent. Um, and I think that's something particularly in this really tumultuous 2017 America, we can really understand because it, it does feel a lot like um, us versus them, or I really should say them versus us a lot of times. And I think you can just get behind the little guy in, in pretty much every film. And particularly here, I think you can really see the struggle of these longshoremen and what they go through. And you might not always want them to, to kind of kowtow, but they have to. Um, because it's their their livelihood, and I, I really like how how Kazan puts uh, the Brando character Terry Malloy kind of as neutral. He's he's got allegiances on both sides um, here, and he has to kind of make this this decision. And I think that's always powerful in in storytelling, having a character that's kind of you know conflicted, and and you have to kind of take the journey with them and. Uh, you know, get mad when they make poor choices and then kind of cheer them on when they make the right ones, even though um, you might not be strong enough to make the same choices. It's really easy to say, like, you idiot, you should have done that. But then you got to think yourself, would I have done that? Would I have been strong enough to do that or would I not have been? So I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> I think it that's leads, my answer. I think it leads to uh, certainly more more questions and uh, more, more, conver- more conversation. Yeah, there is a... Um... As you say, divorced from the 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 HUAC proceedings, the 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 polemic that yep. uh, Kazan is saying is that this is a it's uh, 
story. It's an underdog. It's, it is an underdog story. It's a this 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 guy, this bum, this this down, this this every man kind of kind of person mm-hmm. who is fighting up. Who's fighting against a corrupt system? And even if that corrupt system is a union, and unions, especially in the fifties, are like strong and powerful and like really good for the country. Like when you see a bad thing being done, the lesson is you should say something about it. Even when it comes at great personal cost, which it does. He, you know, he, Harry Malloy is nearly beaten. You know, he's beaten half to death. He is like put, you know, shoved out, pushed out of work. But he still, he all, there's there's a power in seeing a you know a small man do a good thing against a great a greater injustice that uh, yeah. that and that watching this movie, I was like this this movie has a timelessness to it that. I think you can relate to any age, but since this is the age we are currently in now, I can see a lot of parallels with all the small, the small little groups that are, you know, resisting against the current administration. The the people like Sally Yates, for instance, who are just standing up and saying, "No, this is not the way it should be," and it's and it's and it's great, and it's all really anchored on Mr. Marlon Brando. The, yep. Uh, the the bad boy, one of the greatest stars of all time. He introduced the Stanislavski method acting to um to the uh to the world, to America. Yeah, to American audience. Yeah. <laughs> what like just just tell Marquette, tell me about his performance. Like is it is it good? Is it great? Is it legendary? What's uh, what makes it what what gave him that best actor? Yeah, I mean I think I think the easiest way to distill it is that, and this is, this is you know method acting and Stanislavski to a T. It you you don't really kind of think about Brando in the performance. He's just Terry Malloy, and and obviously you look at you look at Brando and you know it's Brando. It's it's impossible to not know it's Brando you're looking at, but you can get lost in kind of the um, intricacies of what he's doing, and I just feel like he kind of disappears into it as much as he can with, you know, his persona and that face he's got. Um, to me, and this is, again, method acting, you know, 101, it's all about these small little pieces. And yeah, there are kind of these grand moments that kind of remind you a bit of um, the staginess of most Hollywood films pre this era. But there's also these really, so there's a, there's a particular moment that always, I just think it's great. It's, it's I think, uh, he and Edie, they're leaving the church and they're in that, like, park and it looks like a like war torn doomsday world, and yeah, there's, there, there's smoke everywhere. Like it's what, awful. What's happening here? Oh god! It's just awful. Well, it's it's Hoboken, yeah, I guess. And yeah, there still is like that, folks. Yeah, I yeah, no, I know. I've <laughs> I've been around there, and it has not changed a bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, the park scene. They're they're just walking around. The whole scene is great, anyways, because it's very naturalistic, and I really get into it. But. There's this great moment where I think he, I think he's holding Edie's glove or Edie's gloves, mm-hmm. and he, she's talking, and he's in the background on the swing, I believe, and he just goes to put her glove on, and it won't fit his hands because his hands are too big, and you, you can just see it's like, it's something someone who's awkward and uncomfortable with the conversation might do because they just don't know what to do with themselves in that situation, yeah. and it always catches my eye, it always makes me laugh, and it always feels really human. Um, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a media where, or a medium where it's, it's really easy to see actors being actors or actresses being actresses. This is a moment that just feels like improv almost. And it's, I think it's just a great, 
it's just a great little moment um, in the film. And I think that small moment kind of explodes out to the rest of his performance. And it's yeah. just all filled with these great little nuances. That moment was actually improv. They were in rehearsal at the time. And Brando just did that. And Kazan loved it so much that they, he made him, made him do it again in the, in the actual film. Well, I feel really vindicated to know that Kazan liked it too. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. But um, so Brando, Brando's just great. Uh, he had the uh, the famous, uh, "I could have had class. I could have been a contender, but instead, I'm just a bum." And that's all. Yeah. That. Uh, it's, it's. I'm always fascinated how something enters pop culture because this is not. This is not like a. This is not a Star Wars. This is not some big like it kind of it wants to be popular it's a film that is about corrupt practices in the hoboken you know shipping industry and that Mm -hmm. that that doesn't strike me as fun and yet that is the line that has just it's made it far like that's if you know nothing else about on the waterfront you know that line you know that like yeah i agree how do why do you think it did why do you think it made it why why do you think it like that endures even if i have a i have a i have a theory as I okay. usually do for most things. Yes, you do. So, we're talking the 1950s. It's post-World War II. You got a lot of returning soldiers, and they feel very displaced. Um, and as a result, they you know, they feel a bit lost. And the underdog part of this story, I think, would have really appealed to them. And, and the, you know, the us versus them piece would also, I think, really appeal to them. But I could have been a contender, I think, is the point where, all right, I'm going to go off to war. I'm going to fight. And when I come back, everything's going to be okay. There's no way I'm going to have like post-traumatic stress or just, you know, my, my family life's going to be great. I'm going to have a great job. Everything's going to be great. I went to war. My country's going to take care of me. But it wasn't great for a lot of them. They came back. They had a lot of issues. The, the country didn't take care of them as much as they should have. They didn't even know what to do with some of these soldiers in, in the early 50s. And a lot of them didn't get great jobs. And I think that line, I could have been a contender really – Kind of is a is a great kind of microcosm for that sh- that struggle they were feeling. A lot of these people were feeling. I could have been something more. I should have been something more, and I I wasn't able to for whatever reason. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's somebody else's fault. But I think that idea of that so that that's the cultural context. But I also think just just in general, we always kind of are nostalgic about things we could have done better in our lives, right? Yeah. If it's a small thing or a big thing, we always think, man, I could have done that better I, I could have done that a little bit better in everything i mean i don't think we do everything we don't do anything perfect that's what makes us human but i think we reflect a lot on the things we do and, and we always kind of think i wish i could have done at least i do maybe i'm just really insecure but <laughs> no well i think i think everybody feels like they've got a bum hand or yeah they, they went left when they should have gone right it's just you know it's a movie from the 50s and yet that's the thing that i, do. I mean like i'm sure that was that's a clip they play they played at the Oscars because it's mm-hmm. definitely it's a, it's a showy line in a movie filled with showy lines. It's I know. perhaps the showiest, but they're like they're also good. I could uh, speaking of um, speaking of showy lines, uh, Carl Malden, the great Carl <laughs> Malden. I oh yeah, I was just just on the edge of my seat watching him uh, during you know d- during his during his big uh, big scene his big speech after the death of uh, one of the one of the uh, one of the longshoremen. He was totally, absolutely murdered in an accident. But he, yes, he, he, just, <laughs> he just he he just he brings that that Old Testament like 
fire and fury to this great speech, basically, you know, accusing everybody of just like basically crucifying Jesus. Yeah. By yep. by their inaction, and ah, oh, I am. I was so bummed when he didn't when he didn't win. Um, yeah, it's a real shame because that that the whole performance is great, but that scene in particular I find incredibly moving. Um, yeah, I mean, it, particularly he he's trying to just he's trying to reach anybody there, and I think that is that I think that's the scene where one of them even throws like a beer can or a soda can at him or something, yeah, hits him in the head. And he just keeps going. He just keeps going. He doesn't right. he doesn't really let it affect him. Right. Do you think? Um, because it's a it's a very it's it's a speech coming from a priest. It's about religion. Mm-hmm. Do you think it could have been a little too much and a little too on the on the nose had it not been delivered by Col- by Malden? Yeah, I think they could have stumbled for sure. I think they could have stumbled with the entire religious theme. Um, you know, I, I, I think that this movie is a, just a kind of a structural piece. I think that this movie is a real great precursor for a lot of the mob films we'd see, um, you know, post this. And I feel like oftentimes there is a priest character who, you know, gets in between and, and he's the one who's able to kind of mediate a lot of the time. So when I first, when I, you know, when I revisited the movie, I think I first saw it the first time I recognized Malden's character, Father Barry, because he's a character I've seen many times before. And I think I'm not a very religious person, and I, I feel like I grew up with religion, though, in my family, and I understand a lot of it. And I, to me, it, it doesn't come down to religion in a way. It's all about faith, and I think you can understand faith a lot easier. I can recognize and get behind faith a lot easier and, and that I can get behind organized religion. And, and when I say faith, I mean faith in, like, humankind, faith in a person, right? So... Father Barry and Edie both have faith in, well, they, they want to have faith in Terry that he'll do the right thing. Um, so the religious piece really works for me because um, who better to kind of deliver that sort of, like you said, Old Testament fire and brimstone kind of speech than, than a priest. And I mean, you can't not kind of get behind the guy. And I like that it doesn't matter it maybe yeah maybe it is more imp- impactful that he is a priest but if he was just a regular guy trying to help out delivering the same kind of rhetoric maybe altered a little bit it would still be powerful because it's just it's it's just powerful stuff it doesn't really matter so it didn't it didn't touch me what i i guess what i'm saying is it it didn't affect me in a religious sense it affected me in just in the sense that it's it was powerful words and it made you think about kind of human nature and what we have to do and not do in life yeah it got me thinking of um guilt and shame because you know here you are and like we all have the power to uh, to stop that if they if people just organize if they found they had the courage they could prevent this stuff from happening but yep. they don't and i i could I, I i thought i was being yelled at like by my yeah <laughs> by my mom's like oh maybe i should maybe i should maybe i should do something like <laughs> oh man and it's um it's a that's a i think in as you say even more than religion it yeah. plays on a like this human desi- this human desire to like not want to rock the boat because okay even if things aren't great they aren't bad and I, at least i have a job sort of and when if if i do rock the boat i'm going to get a just a ton of whiskey dropped on me and what i'm sure will be a very ironic death or so the newspapers will say <laughs> um, yeah but uh there were I'm always fascinated to see relationships from 
certainly before my time, certainly before now in the era of think pieces and, you know, whatever wave feminism we're on, because I don't know if 50s movies can quite nail women. That's the wrong word. It can write, <laughs> can write women uh, like believably because there were times when Edie just seemed like she seemed everyone seems like a like they're a person Edie kind of felt like a like a necessary plot device to motivate our male protagonist uh what yeah. what are your thoughts on the great uh Ava I mean her I I find myself really kind of charmed by her performance um I do think that yeah I, I don't know if it's if it's necessarily her or if it's a matter of the screenplay i do feel like there's you know a couple moments that feel very um streetcar-esque particularly the completely ridiculous scene where brando bursts down her door just with his like raw sexuality and (laughs) (laughs) hits it it with his pecs and just like yeah just it just explodes and and it's just a it's a very like overdone scene and she kind of it almost seems like she's getting like faint from everything that's i mean it's a very a... a lot of things have happened i get it but but uh, but on that scene, like okay, let's see, Brando, um, you you broke you broke something, then you entered, and oh, let's see, she told you to leave, and you kept going, so we're gonna we're gonna tack on, um, some sexual assault there, right? That's that's it's, what it feels like. But I mean, it's 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 so weird, and I wanna I wanna be like, no, this is bad, but at the same time, like, ah, oh, man, fuck the fifties, man, they were it's like. I, like obviously they weren't fine for all white dudes, but like they were really not fine for everybody else as yes, well. Yes, I would agree. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but, but uh, Edie Edie Ava Marie Saint, she's uh, she is great. She's the brother of um, oh, what's his name? The brother, yeah, the she's Joey, the sister, si- yeah, the sister of Joey who like who whose death starts the film off. Yeah, quite quite immediately. By the way, they they waste absolutely no time, but. Oh, it's like right away, yeah. Yeah, she's um, she's she's great, and like everything ends up okay for her because it's it's going to. But she she bear she has to bear a lot of this uh, a lot of the burden yeah. here, you know. Because and there's this there's this wonderful scene that's uh, one of my favorite scenes in this movie. It's the confession scene where Terry is confronting Edie about his role in her brother Joey's death. Uh, he yes, t- t- Terry basically like lured him out to the roof where he was then he was then not knocked off and kazan in a great bit of editing and sound work we don't hear what military is saying what brando is saying so we get to just see what they're emoting and yes ava marie saint is just there and she has this this many it's many many looks happening it's it's anger it's sadness it's bewilderment it's fear at this the person who she thought she knew is now revealed to be like an accomplice to murder and uh, and it's done completely without words just the i think there's a horn yeah a foghorn a or something foghorn yeah. going off in the background oh, and i i just love that scene because i was like this this is it's like we're in the 50s so it's like very italian neorealist yeah it is playing it's a little a little more arty you know cuz you know it's not about cuz we don't need to hear Terry explained that he did all this. It that mm-hmm. we know we know that the audience knows that. E, Edie doesn't know that, right? She's so, the only one, right? Yeah, she, yeah, she's the only one. So and so, the scene is not about is not about Brando. 
it's, it's all on Edie, and she carries it yeah. exquisitely. And she walks off. It's, and it's just, heartbreaking. She's so great. Uh, you, you had a bunch of scenes that you wanted to you wanted to mention. Which which ones like stand out for you? Yeah. So I mean, you, we've actually talked about two of them. The uh, the it's a crucifixion scene, the one you mentioned with with Father Barry. Obviously, the Terry and Charlie in the car. Like, I could have been a contender. That whole sequence is just great. Um, I, I mean, I love that I could have been a contender line, but for me, it's the, it's the, it was you, Charlie. It was always like, it was always you like that. That's just heartbreaking yeah, to his own, and, to his own brother, holding him oh, back a little oh, bit for scraps when he could have been at the table. It's terrible. And I just, I love that. That, and I mean, that it's, that scene is deservedly, um, recognized. It's not just like a, you know, oh, well, it wasn't as good as everyone said it was. It's really that good. Um, so those two stand out to me, and then there's a, well, I mean, there's like there's about a million scenes, but I really, I really like Terry and Edie at the, they go to that bar, and he's kind of like plying her with drinks, and and then they, there's like a wedding going on, and they dance around a little bit, and it gets this very, like this kind of wild introduction to his world, and she, he's not completely comfortable, she's not completely comfortable, and it's just, it just really works. You can kind of see her, um getting into him and vice versa and it, and it seems very natural um it just kind of seems like well you got to take my hand and go and it, and it and it does reveal a little bit more of terry's kind of i don't want to say fun side necessarily but there's a side of him that that probably wants this you know wants romance and wants a relationship and and of course it's even more ironic that they they make they pop in on a wedding and yeah. they're, they're kind of on their first date even though it's not really a date but um, I always I find that scene just really charming in a, in, a, in, a, in a movie that's filled with a lot of really dark um, themes and really dark scenes and dark subject matter. I really enjoy that sequence a lot. And then there was um, one more. I mean, the, the finale is great. The fight with Terry and, and um, Johnny Friendly is just great. Um, him getting up and him saying, get me on my feet and just that walk. It's just it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but I am I always find myself like just completely devastated when Terry goes back up to the rooftops towards the end and the kid that is kind of his like mentee has just killed all of his pigeons. All the pigeons are dead and he's just like, they're both just like devastated by what has happened. The kid's crying. Terry's on the verge of crying. I'm always crying. (laughs) There's like a million birds dead. It's just an awful, it's an awful sequence. And it just uh, amazes me the lengths people will go when they feel betrayed by someone they trusted. Right. Um, and they, and, and they and they won't even you know they won't even confront them like we're right. like, they'll they'll hurt things that right. they love and like right. the pigeon the pigeons are they're a common motif. I actually wanted to ask you about what do you, like what is the what is the pigeon image imagery in this because you know Terry you know he's a, a pigeon breeder so to speak. Yep. What do you, like what do you think that was um, Schulberg and Kazan were were getting at with that? Yeah. So the. The, the pigeon piece is, is interesting too. Well, there's, there's kind of a twofold. So he, he's, yeah, he's a pigeon breeder. He's also taking care of Joey's pigeons. Joey also had pigeons and it's kind of like his penance for what he's done, even though he, he didn't really do anything. He was just kind of implicated in, in Joey's murder and didn't really wasn't, I don't think he was fully aware of what was happening. Um, but I love the, the kind of the, the, the symbol of the pigeons and then the, the, the rooftops overall is this kind of motif. It's kind of Terry's, world away from everything it's where he can go to escape literally above this kind of corrupt underworld and there's this great um line between i I believe it's between him and edie 
and he tells Edie something like, um, this, you know, the city's full of hawks. Um, yeah. You know, they, they hang around on the top of these big buildings. They, they spot pigeons in the park and they just they go right at them. Um, and it's just this great kind of piece because he, he's talking about he wants he's trying to get away. So visually, he's above things. Hawks are also above, but he's not a hawk. He's more like this, these pigeons. He's kind of trapped, and he's setting them free, but only to come back. So it's this cycle he can't break out of, and it just—I think it works really well. It's a, it's a it's great symbolism because you don't need to be a I don't know a psychologist to figure it out. You can just kind of get a sense for what he's doing on a lot of different levels, and I feel like that's good screenwriting right there. Yeah, it works on a lot of levels. It also works yeah. um, that. Pigeons and doves are actually part of the same family of bird. They're part of the Columbidae family. Uh, and for a time, their positions in society were reversed, where pigeons were elevated to a sort of high-class status. But now, they're pigeons. They are given... Yeah. They're, 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 bu- they're the bums of the, bird, yeah. the birding <laughs> world, so to speak. No, like, they, don't get no, they don't get no respect... No, they're they, they they were they were contenders they were they they had uh, they had know. class for a time we're but... doing <laughs> we're making, we are, we're we are good work. at this yes <laughs> we took we went to film school <laughs> i've done so much with that degree <laughs> <laughs> i made a podcast <laughs> um so uh matt marchetti final thoughts on this we're winding down uh, anything else you'd like to add before we get to the get to the questions? No, I mean, I just, I, I well, I, I, okay, I guess there is one more piece. We were talking about thematic pieces and motifs, and I really like the idea of the story taking place in Hoboken and having the river be this kind of dividing line between this very um, blue-collar world with, with, with Terry and everyone else inhabits and then this kind of white-collar world across the Hudson River um to you know manhattan and places like that and it's just this this kind of image of it reminds me of the great gatsby a lot this image that you can you know that that thing you want is so close but you just can't get there and i like it because no one really talks about it no one says like oh you see manhattan over there like that's that's where i want to get one day you just kazan just frames lots of action by the river because that's where the thing takes place on the waterfront obviously so you just kind of get it through i don't know some sort of cinematic osmosis and visual kind of language and it just i just always find that that piece really interesting i'm all i'm very interested in like um social divides between groups and why certain people feel trapped like why someone would feel trapped in an area like hoboken when uh, New York City's right there. I mean, literally, you know, you could you could swim across the river. I wouldn't advise no, it, but you could. No, 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 no. <laughs> Certainly about not back then either. I just really dig that um, that image, those images, I guess. Yeah, it's a movie oven by the water um, and on the waterfront ultimately. Yeah, because what because what, what can you do on a ship? You can go anywhere, and yet where are you? Right wherever you are, right yep. there, and you're stuck with yourself in the end. Um, so, uh, I feel as though this is a foregone conclusion, but it's a question I try to ask every time. Did On the Waterfront deserve Best Picture? Yes. Has right, it... it was, was... <laughs> no, no hesitation. That's that's fine. Uh, and has it stood the test of time over the last 63 years? An equally confident yes, I would say. I mean, I think testament to that is I, I show it to you know, 16, 17, 18-year-old high school students who hate most things if you can remember being 16 17 18 but even yeah. more so now like they're really angry 
and I can put that on. I put that. I played that three years now in my film class, and I'm sure there's a few people here and there who don't get into it as much as some others. But in general, it goes over like gangbusters. I don't have to prep it. I just kind of talk a little bit about it. I put it in, and the movie just kind of does its thing. They get into it. They get really upset. It's just <laughs> it's it's kind of magical to see it. And I feel like to me, that's that's real staying power in in a, in a piece of art if it can really kind of tra- transcend that that period of time and i think it does and there you have it i honestly cannot add anything else to that <laughs> saying that it's uh it's still an incredible movie and a very uh, the best the best movies are ones that you can watch and they are they're of their of their own time but they are somehow just like cast outside of it too and you can uh, the great stories endure because there's always something universal and very human about them and there is mm-hmm. A lot that you can draw from from on the waterfront um matt marchetti thank you so much for joining us uh this, i think um to quote another best picture winner i think this is the start of a beautiful friendship <laughs> we've been we've been friends for a very long time but you know now it's a it's a it's a slight, it's, a, it's a thing it's a professional thing it's a thing now you know it's definitely a thing i know i'm in i'm in my room the door's closed my wife is downstairs i don't know what she's yeah. doing <laughs> i might not be wearing pants right now who knows I don't have pants on, for the record. Okay. I didn't never had them on. <laughs> All right, uh, this should be a lot of fun. Um, next week, uh, this will be a slight, a slight curveball. I, I put out a poll on Twitter for what a film should we should we should do, and what came back was we we're going to talk about the, uh, I believe the 2006 best foreign language uh, film, The Lives of Others from Germany. Excellent, uh, excellent. I, which I'm. So looking forward to, especially uh, the debate about because there was another very wildly popular foreign movie that came out that year that I think a lot of people hold in very high regard. Ooh, Ooh. Um, tension! Yes, this has been Oscar Watch. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Oscar Watch Pod. Write us an email at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail We love hearing your feedback and your thoughts, and also. Sometimes when we screw up a piece of information, you guys are actually very good at uh, at correcting us. I'm sorry, I never correct, I recorrect ourselves on air. Thank you so much for listening, uh, Matt. Where can the folks find you if they want to see your works? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Instagram's the best. I don't, I don't. Well, I guess I do the Facebooks now because of this. But uh, Instagram uh, at the handle I mentioned earlier, the movie underscore matinee matinee with the two T's in there. That's where I have my reviews. Um, I'll be just like Steve posting um, Oscar Watchpod stuff too there. So I just feel like that's the best place to do it. Um, you know, comment, like, please comment on the stuff, the movies. It's yeah. it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I enjoy it very much. Uh, it's nice to post the reviews, but if someone comments, it means I know they're reading them, um, or at least they're you know they know the movie well enough to to make a comment about it. So that's awesome. So please yeah. do that if if you please. Yeah. Find find it find and follow him, folks. You will not regret. It. He's got a great back backlog of stuff, and I look forward to he, uh, reading his stuff in the future as well. So thanks. Yeah. So without further ado, we shall say good night, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Until next time, we will see you on the red carpet. Sally said, Sally said.